What's going on, ghosties? Welcome back to Tales of Spooky Coffee House. If you're new here, welcome to our podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Chelsea. And I'm Veronica. And it's time for our much-needed coffee break. Veronica. Chelsea. Have you been paying attention to the celebrity gossip going on right now? Um, I'm always paying attention to celebrity gossip. It's kind of one of my (laughs) fortes. Um... (laughs) What specific drama are you talking about? Danny Masterson. Oh, yeah. I actually just watched the video of Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis explaining their letter and, and apologizing and stuff. Yeah, and and the thing is, is, they didn't apologize for writing the letters. They just apologized to how people took them. Yeah. And it's, like, bizarre. Ghosties, if you are living under a rock right now, Danny Masterson played Hyde in that 70s show, and he was just sentenced to 30 years to life for raping two women in, I think it was early 2000s, like 2003 or something. He was on trial for three. Only two of them they convicted him for. But he, it has been, like, crazy with, theories and allegations being thrown out the entire cast now mm-hmm. and it's just getting pretty wild yeah i mean i haven't heard the stuff about the other cast members but when i did watch the ashton kutcher and the mila kunis video they said that the family of what's his face reached out to them people who have known him for 20 plus years mm-hmm. um possibly more to write a letter um a character witness uh, letter yeah pretty much so they weren't in a way defending like what he did or mm-hmm. any of that sorts they were just you know writing so about I'm, how I'm, they knew him basically yeah and i'm not against like mila kunis or ashton kutcher at, at all like at all i really like them and i understand the situation as far as what they're involved with but mm-hmm. it is kind of fishy because what's his face is in uh, Scientology, so is the girl that played Donna. And supposedly the first time around, Scientology helped him get out of trouble, but they couldn't really do much for him the second time around. Because mm-hmm. um, he technically got away with it, right? The first time yeah. around, he got away with it. And now justice has been served. But that's like my take on it. Yeah, and I, I believe the, the girl that played Donna... The guy that played Eric, and then, of course, Wilmer, who played Fez, um, they're, I think, the only three that didn't write character witness statements. Mm-hmm. And I think Wilmer, for good reason, because he's got a history of dating young girls anyways, so <laughs> it was probably that. best that he did it. But, yeah. but um, no, there's, uh, there's a lot of, like, theories and stuff going around right now that I've seen, like, evidence for was that the guy that played mm-hmm. Eric kind of knew about everything that was happening and that's why they isolated him out in the last season because yeah because he wasn't okay with everything that was happening and um so they kind of like pushed him away but then also like i i have always adored ashton and anila Mm -hmm. but also at the same time a lot of their past interviews have been you know coming back recently because of all of this that's Mm -hmm. going on Mm -hmm. and it's the it's what bothers me is how they're so calm about the fact that the writers had Mila kissing pretty much everybody on set from the very first season. And she was only 14 at the time. Well, they didn't know she was 14. 
or 15 actually they didn't know she was 15 she lied about her age i'm sure if they had been aware from the start they wouldn't know but like i don't know because there's a lot of shows where kids are are kissing even if it's not kids like it's people playing kids for example riverdale mm-hmm. like yeah. they're supposed to be playing teenagers, teenagers and they're yep. doing this and that and it's it, it okay like as an adult now like looking watching that sh- a show like that like yes it's entertaining yes it's it's great whatever but then you like start looking into they, it yeah. mm-hmm. you know and you're like um yeah I don't think teenagers should be doing <laughs> this like, but also um, when we were teenagers we were like oh my gosh like look at this show like they're so great yeah, yeah. her diaries mm-hmm. is something yeah. we used to watch when we were younger like we would drool over yeah. Damon, and Damon would be dating these high school girls. And he was supposed to be like 147 years old. See, I wouldn't Same even have thought Twilight. that far. I just Twilight. Like, <laughs> that's kind of my point. Like, I'm, I'm not, to- it's going to sound weird, but let me explain myself. I'm not totally against, like, the kissing scenes between, I don't want to say kids, but <laughs> underage <laughs> individuals. Mm-hmm especially if there's consent especially if there's not only consent from that person but from the parent because a lot of the times you do hear that there's no consent going on here and they're just kind of forced to kiss somebody and you know in Stranger Things they talked about that kind of being forced to do a kiss and it was their first kiss and this and that Mm -hmm. so like I'm not totally against it if there's consent but also like yeah you know you look at certain things and it's like "Eh, it's kind of giving the wrong idea to people yeah you know mm-hmm. um but you know Mila did lie about her age she was 15 when she first started that show and I mean watching that 70s show if you guys haven't watched that 70s show I don't know where you could watch it but you should go watch it it's a great show it's very funny especially if you're a stoner like yeah it's just a it's a it's a great show <laughs> a great to watch show. you know the round table is hilarious to me I could watch YouTube YouTube clips for like hours but I don't know it's very complicated mm-hmm. it's very complicated the whole thing um, it doesn't have to be but it is so there was also his Danny's ex-girlfriend the one that he didn't get convicted of raping she actually lashed out at Ashton and Mila and she put a very specific date in her reply to Ashton mm-hmm And so people started looking to see what happened around February of 2001. Mm -hmm. And one of Ashton's exes was murdered that month. And she had very specifically said about how she overheard the phone call with him and Danny about how he had the plan all figured out. Mm, Yeah. I think I kind of make him seem like the bad guy. Mm-hmm. It was crazy the fact that she just straight like went for both of them. Yeah, I don't know any more details to actually like give my opinion on that one. Right, right. But I agree with the whole Ashton being cooperative because I've seen like when he was like in court talking about it and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I want to say I don't believe her, but it's yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to stir and, the pot too much. And the thing I think what really is like throwing everybody for a loop is that it was taken out of context like they like everybody's under the impression that they are on his side like that he didn't do it that you know like that and Ashton is very involved in taking down human trafficking rings even Mila yeah they're both Mm -hmm. they're both involved 
And so um, I, th- I think that's what's really like throwing everybody off. Yeah. But again, like it, they weren't justifying him. They weren't saying that he didn't do it. They were just, they were asked to write character witness statements. I mean, kind of put it this way, you know, Chelsea, we've known each other for 20 plus years. Yeah. Pretty sure one day we're going to know each other for more than 30, 40 years. You know, if God willing, we make it that far in life. <laughs> but like, you know, say one of us were to commit such a horrendous crime. Yes, you deserve what you deserve. But if your family had asked me to write a letter like Ashton and Mila did, I would. Yeah. You know, I would. You know, I I never knew you as, as that type of person. Like, yes, you were off here and there. <laughs> like, but you know what I mean? Like, you yes. know what I mean? Like, yes. that's, that's why yep. it's like, okay, I get it, Ashton and Mila. I totally get it. I don't hold it against you. Mm-hmm. And I love that they came straight up and posted a raw, like, video on Instagram saying we weren't justifying anything. This is just what we were asked to do. And as people that have known him for so many years, like... Mm-hmm you know we did so but we're not saying it's okay that he did what he did exactly pretty much so you know that's that's kind of how i how i'm seeing it i guess yeah it's just the whole thing is like really wild right now it is and then there's i mean i thought you were gonna bring up more drama like joe jonas and And sophia turner oh my god i could could. (laughs) you know their drama like i don't want to talk about it yet just because like i know that there's so there's much, so much more, more coming. that's going to come out. Yeah. <laughs> because people are already starting. They're slowly taking sides. Some rumors are starting to spread. So I think Listen, maybe, there's maybe only even next week. Yeah. The, there's only one rumor that I, I would actually like to see come true. Mm-hmm. And that's that Sophie and Taylor Swift are going to do something. Now, if if Joe after is, the like, breakup, yeah, like, or, like coming up, like they're like she's gonna release a new song or something, and like she's gonna be like in the music video uh, or something. But, like, if if Joe is the bad guy here, okay, if I'm just saying if I'm not saying that he is, but if so, I think that would be a badass fucking like revenge song video thing. Like that would be fucking hilarious. I don't think Joe is the bad guy only because one of the most not not the most recent concert but a recent concert after the fact that there's rumors of their breakup after the fact that joe was caught without wearing his ring sophie was at the concert so if i feel like if if joe was the bad guy sophie would not be there if sophie was a bad guy she'd be there because she feels guilty or because she you know feels like there's hope for the marriage like you know what i mean like and that's how i'm seeing it but one of the rumors that's going around is that there was something involving a ring camera footage mm-hmm. at their house that Sophie he, was caught saying like what something. She said, yeah, and that that's when Joe knew that it was over. There was a TikTok that said that the message that could be heard on the ring camera was that Sophie was saying that Justin Bieber is better than the Jonas Brothers, and that's what caused the breakup. And you don't understand how much I want to believe that because it's so hilarious. <laughs> and I know it's not that, but I just thought it was really funny. Um, I mean, after Joe, because he seems so heartbroken, and the way he's like singing certain songs at the concert, I'm like, oh my god. But also, his PR team, I don't like. I don't agree with their tactics because. 
they started painting her as this villain who likes to like go out and party and leaves him with the kids and everything. Isn't the Jonas brother still under Scooter or whatever his name is? Uh, no, they dropped him. They dropped him. Dropped him. Everybody dropped him. Are you see? Are you good? Good. Um, I yeah, no, Demi Justin Bieber, at, like um, Ariana, Ariana Grande. Yeah, Ariana Grande. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna question that one. So we'll see. We'll see. Go see what happens. What gossip comes out. We will definitely keep you posted. <laughs> right. We love celebrity it's, gossip on here, even though that's not what our show was about. It's it's not, but it's fun to talk about because mm-hmm. these are people that we grew up with. So it's like, ooh. Yeah, like actually, uh, Stephanie and I were just talking about how we wanted to go to Who's a Jonas Brother concert. <laughs> I swear, one of these days, she's going to slap you, dude. But um, She won't. <laughs> but no we were just talking about how we wanted to go to a Jonas Brother concert like she wants to fly out here we can go to like the closest one and then she made the comment she's like you know that Joe is single now right so one of us has a chance <laughs> and I'm like I'm like only hey, one of us hey, Chelsea, only one like of us is single <laughs> what did you just he say redhead. does he really yeah, and I apologize, Go see. Sometimes we interrupt each other, and I don't know. I honestly don't know if you'll be able to hear any of us when we're doing that. Yeah. It's just, a, it's just a bad habit. For sure that I have. For sure. And I apologize. Also, you just sent me something that I think you should share with the ghosties, because we bully each other a lot on here, and, and off recording, too. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> So there's this post, Ghosties, that I saw on my Instagram, and I was like, oh my gosh, like, over here, people calling me a bully, and a, well, no one calls me a bitch. Well, you call me a bitch, but like, you know, for being a bully. Yeah. And I mean, you um, are a bitch, but I love I am. I am a bully. I love bullying my friends. It's just who I am. It's the environment I grew up in. But the Mm -hmm. thing is, I never cross the line. And if I do, I make it clear that, you know, I want them to tell me that mm-hmm. I've crossed the line, like, okay, cool, like, thanks for letting me know, and I learned from it, right? Mm-hmm. Um. Anyways, so the post said, have you guys noticed that the meanest friends that we have is always the one that's actually looking out for us? And you guys don't understand, ghosties, my, <laughs> the people I love and care about, for example, Chelsea, Stephanie, Z, Taylor, um, and so on, so on, right? But these are names that you guys know. I bully these people so much in a loving way. But I would fight a bitch for these bitches. Are you <laughs> kidding me? I am so prote- protective of these hoes. Like, you don't understand. Like, you don't fuck with someone that I love. <laughs> and I hope I made my point clear. So... <laughs> That's that. If I don't bully you and I love you, I I'm probably scared. But <laughs> if I bully you, just know you're you're you've been broken you're in. <laughs> you're under contract at this point. You are a forever friends. The only way out I'm is a forever friends. Death or you become a hoe. Like mm, I had a hoe people. phase, and you still love me. Yeah, but you're a different kind of hoe. You're not a. <laughs> you're. <laughs> I'm not gonna get into it, but I've yeah, so we're moving on. Okay, I have a funny story for you. Uh-huh. 
So I recently, you you know that I've had a mice problem. Um, what? I live across. Yeah, I live across from the field, ghosties. So whenever the farmers like fucking get their shit done, I, I get mice. I get field mice. It happens out in the Midwest. It's very common. But I got tired because I couldn't fucking get rid of them, right? So I called somebody, and they came out, and <laughs> and I'm talking to the to the technician, and he's super sweet. He's like. He's like bubbly kid kind of, you know, sweet, whatever. And I had, I put my dog up because she likes to jump on people. And so she's like barking because she wants attention and she's in her cage and she's throwing a fit. She's a what husband. What kind of dog do you have? Oh, I there have you a go. There you dramatic, go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, if you just say it's a husky, it's, it's right away. Everyone's going to know. Yeah. So he's, you know, he asked. He's doing his job. He's looking for points of entry for the mice and everything, but he's asking questions too. And he's like, asking about the dog. And we start talking and he's telling me about his dog. And he's like, oh, she's a she, right? What's her name? And I was like, her name is Doobie. By this point, he's half, like, his half his body is inside of my furnace room trying to look for holes and stuff. And I, when we named her Doobie, okay, to avoid my kids saying something weird we said it's because of scooby dooby doo and so after so many years it just became a habit to say dooby like scooby dooby doo like that's just how i introduce her now Mm -hmm. this dude full-on pulls his whole body out of the room looks me dead in the eye and goes yeah sure Not gonna lie, I know your dog's name. I've been knowing your dog's name. Tell me why. Even you saying the story now, like, I thought what I thought, and I'm totally on his side. (laughs) Yeah, sure, bud, sure. And I just, I've, I've never been straight up called out about that before by anybody. (laughs) I was just so shocked. And then I started laughing. And I was like, I was like, yeah, you're a stoner, aren't you? (laughs) But, um, but, but then he's like, he's like, yeah, I had this lady who called me, who, who not called me, but called us because she had cockroaches. He's like, and I went and I took, I was looking around her house and on top of the fridge, I found a little ashtray and it didn't have the type of roaches that I was looking for. (laughs) (laughs) And then he, and then he starts spraying the house because it's, um, since I was already paying for mice, it's, it's a free service to just spray for ants, spiders, you know, all the little tiny bugs. Yeah. And um, so he's going and he's spraying all the rooms and he gets to my room and my it, my first thought was, oh shit, I have my pen out. Uh-huh. And he, he walks out of my room and he, he looks me dead in the face again, dude. He goes, yeah, Scooby-Dooby-Doo, all right. <laughs> I'm like, fuck, he saw it. <laughs> so that was a great experience. <laughs> you know what? Since you're bringing up that you live like across fields, I mm-hmm. I I think about this so often. Like, obviously, there's a many podcasts nowadays, right? And we're very thankful for those who listen to us, and we love you guys. We love doing this. We don't do it for the numbers. We literally do it to just be ourselves, yeah, to chat, hang out. But you know, all these podcasts, you see, they're the hosts all in the same room. They have their little table, their little setup, 
and they're looking like, each other in the eyes. Yeah, we're literally <laughs> states apart. Like you're yeah. in Michigan. I'm in California. I'm um, where? Um, Indiana. I'm I don't know. Where are you? I, <laughs> I'm I, mean, in I don't know. And I'm in California. I'm in like, Michigan. <laughs> Michigan. Yeah, I never know. I never know. I'm like one of those, one of those two. You threw me off, man. <laughs> You're in California. <laughs> I know, but I'm just saying, like, I think it's, I don't know, it's, it's unique. Yeah. And you have, you got, ever since you moved out there, you, you got, like, an accent. And I know I have my LA accent. <laughs> you still have yours a little bit, too, but I, when just, I, I don't first know, I love thinking here, about it. <laughs> when I first moved out here, I got so much shit for my California accent. And, and now everybody gives me shit for my Michiana accent. And I'm like, I can't fucking win. I remember. Okay, ghosties. Funny story. <laughs> um, uh, so back when I was 18, uh, my parents went to Mexico for two weeks. And so I stayed at Nana's house, which is Chelsea's grandmother, my adopted grandmother. And I Chelsea was going to stay there for a few days as well so I went with Nana and Grampy to go pick you up at the airport and this is the first time I'm seeing her we we picked this bitch up from the airport and we're in the car and this is the first time I've seen her in like quite a while ever since she moved out um and so we're in the car and I'm trying to talk to her and all she really responds with as she's checking she has a habit of checking her nails a lot She's just looking at her nails or biting them, and she'll be like, oh, that's hella awesome. That's fucking dope. Yeah, that's hella this, hella that. And I'm like, who the fuck are you right now? Like, can you, can you stop? Like, you're home. You're home. Put that, whatever that, whoever that is, put them away. Bring out Chelsea that I know. I'm like, hella. And then you were just cussing, and I was just like, okay. But that was yeah. a long story to tell. My my cussing got worse when I moved away because I didn't have <clears throat> Nana like constantly threatening to slap me. Because <laughs> my mom just doesn't give a fuck. Like she she's like you're gonna do you. She's like I don't. She's like I don't care. But Nana yeah. is like watch your mouth or I'm gonna slap it. And I'm like oh shit. Do you tell me why when Nana cusses <laughs> now I'm like oh, Nana. That is yeah. foul language. <laughs> and whenever she threatens me, like, to, like, in any way, I'm like, ooh. Or she'll do the same thing. I'll threaten her and she'll be like, <laughs> ooh. I'm just like, you know what? I know. It's being so much fun when we're older, someone. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting because, you know, but it's fun. <laughs> it's a fun experience to go through in life is being a child in someone's home to being an adult and seeing them a little bit different, you know? I will never forget the look on Nana's face when she first heard me call my mom a bitch. (gasps) Because, listen, my mom and I have been jokingly calling each other bitches since I was, like, 12. Born? (laughs) No, (laughs) 12. You're born, popped out, they put, put you in her arms? Hey, and bitch. it was <laughs> <I can> imagine. <laughs> but no, it was it started when we moved to Vegas. Okay. We moved I we moved to Las Vegas for a couple of months. And then when we moved back, I we had been calling each other bitch already. And we moved back in with Nana. <laughs> and my mom had said something, and I was like, listen, bitch. <laughs> I've never seen Nana move from a room so fucking fast. <laughs> 
Dude, <laughs> the money I would pay to be in that room just to witness, just to witness it. The stare. It wasn't even a stare. She had her hand raised, and I don't remember what was in her hand. There was something in her hand, and her hand was raised. And I was like, we're joking. We're joking. We're joking. And my mom was like, Mom, chill. (laughs) Chill. Oh, yeah. I was so fucking terrified. I was like, shit, my ass is going to be beat. And she's like, you let her call you that? My mom's like, yeah, we're just playing. <laughs> oh, your mom's still being a low key child too, with right? Me, you know, <laughs> mom, chill. We're just joking, uh, God. <laughs> oh, it was the funniest thing. But now, now Nana calls us bitches. I call her a bitch. It's come full circle, <laughs> right? So isn't it like, isn't it such a crazy experience as an adult now? Like, it's yeah, just, I love it. I love it. I yeah. love it here. <laughs> it's fucking funny. But are you ready to get started on the true crime topic of the week? You tell me. You're the one doing the true crime. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't. You have do to you tell me that you're ready do because. You, do you want me? Do you want me to 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 you know? No, I just I need you to uh, to let me know that you're ready because I don't think that even being ready that you're gonna be ready. What? No, I'm not going to. Like, like I'm dead serious. Like, you can think that you're ready for the true crime topic, but when I get started, you're not going to be ready for what I throw at you. Bet, fucking I'm excited. (laughs) Okay, Veronica, ghosties. I cannot stress enough the trigger warning that I'm about to give you. Oh, the fact that she remembered the trigger warning one, the fact that she's actually giving it to, and the fact that she's making it a big deal. Oh, wait, I had to stand up. I'm so excited. I'm stretching. I'm pulling my pants up. I'm getting comfortable. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Let me let me unbind my pants really quick. Wait, wait, wait. The, the reason, okay. So what do you just said, it just reminded me of a video that I saw where this guy, his little tiny dog, falls into the pool, and he runs over to go grab it, but he pulls his pants down first before he yanks the dog out of the pool, and you just reminded me of that, like. Uh, I, I don't know how to take that, Chelsea. Um, let's just go back to the trigger warning part, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so this trigger warning is literally for everything. Like, every bad thing that you can think of is about to be brought up one way or another. I'm so excited. And I've heard of the Brooklyn vampires, so I know it's going to be juicy. Yeah, I need you guys to not be eating anything while you're listening to this, because seriously, (laughs) I almost threw up, dude. Like, I almost threw up, okay? And... And, and ghosties, if you need a break, it is okay to hit pause and take a few minutes to process everything that you are going to be feeling, okay? I will definitely be posting this part on TikTok. So if you're <laughs> listening to this on TikTok, hit pause at the screen. Right, yeah. So we're going to be talking about Albert Fish. He was born as Hamilton Howard Fish in Washington, D.C. on May 19th, 1870. His parents were Randall Fish and Ellen Francis Howell. He was an American serial killer, rapist, 
child molester and cannibal who committed at least three child murders from July 1924 to June 1928. He's also known as the Gray Man, the Werewolf of Rysteria, the Moon Maniac, the Brooklyn Vampire, and the Boogeyman. So we're going to kind of talk about his upbringing first before we get into the nitty gritty details. So Albert Fish was the youngest child and had three living siblings, Walter, Annie, and Edwin. His family did have a history of mental illness, so his uncle had mania. One of his brothers was confined in a state mental hospital. His paternal half-brother suffered from schizophrenia, and his sister Annie was diagnosed with mental affliction. Three other relatives were diagnosed with mental illnesses as well, and his mother had oral and visual hallucinations. Oral? Like... Like sounds? Yeah. Okay. So his father died in 1875, and his mother sent Albert to live at St. John's Orphanage, where he was frequently abused. He even had the nickname Ham and Eggs because of his name. Despite being physically abused, he began to enjoy the physical pain that the beatings brought. And by 1880, his mother had finally secured a government job and was able to remove him from the orphanage. In 1882, at the age of 12, he began a relationship with a telegraph boy. Now, if you don't know what a telegraph is, Ghosties, um, it's an early invention to basically, like, make phone calls. Well, I guess not phone calls, but, like, send messages. <laughs> anyway. Like texting. It's like texting in the 1800s, okay? So this boy introduced Albert to practices such as drinking urine and eating poop. Mm. like baths like he would watch <laughs> other boys what what did you just say well you did like a long ass pause i'm like am i supposed to say something oh no 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 please no shut up <laughs> yeah don't say nothing like don't don't add to this don't add to this okay i was okay. eating when i read that part all right okay so fish began visiting public baths where he would watch other boys undress and he spent a majority of his weekends at these places. 10 years later at the age of 20, Albert moved to New York city. He began to get involved in male prostitution and began molesting and raping boys, mostly younger than six years old at this time. Eight years after this, when he was 28 in 1898, his mother arranged a marriage for him with a woman named Anna Mary Hoffman, who was 19. They had six children together, Albert, Anna, Gertrude, Eugene, John, and Henry. In 1903, Albert was arrested for grand larceny, convicted and incinerated, and incinerated... (laughs) (laughs) incarcerated in Sing Sing. He later recounted an incident in which a male lover took him to a wax museum where he was fascinated by a bisection of human penis and became obsessed with sexual mutilation at this time. So several years later, around 1910, Albert was working in Delaware when he met a 19-year-old man named Thomas Bedden. He took Thomas to where he had been staying, and the two began a sadomasochist relationship. It's not clear whether Albert forced him to do these things, but his confession implied that Thomas was intellectually disabled. So he was basically like taking advantage of of this guy. After 10 days of this sadomasochist relationship, Albert took him to an old farmhouse where he tortured him for over a period of two weeks. 
Eventually, he tied him up and cut off half of his penis. And in a direct quote, Albert recalls, I shall never forget his scream or the look he gave me. Oof. Yeah. Said that he originally intended to kill Thomas by cutting up his body and taking it home, but he feared that the hot weather would draw attention to him. Because, you know, hot weather would make the body smell faster. Mm-hmm. So instead... Albert poured peroxide over the wound, wrapped it in a Vaseline-covered handkerchief, left a $10 bill, kissed him goodbye, and then left. Left a $10 bill? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Later, Albert would say in a quote, <clears throat> took first train I could get back home, never heard what became of him or tried to find out. Wow. Yeah. Seven years later, in January of 1917... Albert's wife left him for another man named John Strobe, who was a handyman who boarded with the Fish family. Could you imagine, like, your wife leaving you for somebody that's just boarding with you? Mm, Yeah, the feelings would not be great. (laughs) (laughs) So then, in a surprising turn of events for the early 1900s, Albert had to raise his children as a single father. And... In a confession after his arrest, he also admitted that when his wife left him, she took nearly every possession that the family owned. So she really, like, uplift him with nothing except for the kids. Around this time, Albert began to have auditory hallucinations, like his mother, and he once wrapped himself in a carpet saying that he was following the instructions of John the Apostle. It was also about this time that Albert began to in- indulge in self-harm by, and here's where the trigger warning stuff like starts to happen. He put needles into his groin and abdomen areas and his x-rays after his arrest revealed that he had at least 29 needles still lodged in his pelvic region. He also liked to hit himself with a nail-studded paddle. It is believed that he never physically attacked or abused his children. He did encourage them and their friends to hit him on the butt with this nail-studded paddle. So, I mean, he may not have physically abused them, but he sure as fuck mentally fucked them up. Another one of his favorite activities was to insert wool that was covered in lighter fluid into his butt and set it, and set it on fire. What the? <laughs> okay, Ghosty, you know how I've been talking about the book Haunted and how I can't talk about certain things in the book because of how disturbing it is? This is giving Haunted. It is. It is. It is. Straight up. When I was doing the research for this, I was like, that's what I thought of, too. I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be, like, the real-life version of that fucking book. Like, Yeah. And it just, it kept getting worse and worse, and I just, yeah. So, around the same time that he began hallucinating, he also began teaching his children strange and sadomasochist games which is when he began developing an obsession with cannibalism. This started with eating just raw meat that he would invite his children to share with him and eventually began to lead to human flesh. But we'll, we'll get to that part. Around 1919, Albert stabbed a disabled boy in Georgetown. Oh, I guess I should clarify. He was intellectually disabled. His method of choosing people were to select either mentally disabled or African-Americans as his victims. And Mm -hmm. he later explains that it was assumed that these types of people would not be missed when they were killed. And that was a quote, so please don't come after me for that word choice. (laughs) Albert would later claim 
to have occasionally paid other boys to go collect other children for him. But with these children that he selected, Albert tortured, mutilated, and murdered young children with his implements of hell, which is a quote, which included a meat cleaver, a butcher knife, and a small handsaw. On July 11th, 1924, Albert found eight-year-old Beatrice Keel playing alone on her parents' farm on Staten Island, New York. He offered her money to come and help him look for rhubarb. Do you know what rhubarb is? No. It's like a, it's a vegetable. She was about to leave the farm when her mother chased Albert away. Fish left, but returned later to the Keel's barn where he tried to sleep, but was discovered by Beatrice's father and forced to leave. So uh, that was his first attempt at taking a child that failed. During 1924, the now 54-year-old Albert was suffering from psychosis and felt that God was commanding him to torture and sexually mutilate children. Albert attempted to test his tools of torture on a 10-year-old child who he had been molesting by the name of Cyril Quinn. Quinn and his friend were playing box ball when Fish asked them if they had eaten any lunch. When they said that they had not, he invited them to his apartment for sandwiches. While the boys were wrestling on Albert's bed, they dislodged the mattress, and underneath was the knife, the handsaw, and the meat cleaver. And so they became frightened and ran out of the apartment. He was married one more time, even though he was still technically married to his wife right after this, but the marriage only lasted for a week. And then... After that, Albert was arrested in May of 1930 for sending an obscene letter to a woman who answered an advertisement for a maid. So following that arrest and another in 1931, he was sent to the Bellevue Hospital for observation. So finally getting the help that he needs when he's nearly 60 years old. A little too late for that, man. Right, exactly. So on May 25th, 1928, Albert saw a classified advertisement in the Sunday paper that read, quote, Young man, 18, wishes position in country, Edward Budd, 406 West 15th Street, end quote. So a few days later, Albert visited the Budd family in Manhattan under the pretense of hiring Edward when he had planned to actually tie him up, mutilate him, and leave him to bleed to death. This was the original plan for this young man. After leaving and then returning, he met Edward's younger sister, which was 10-year-old Gracie Budd. And this was the time where he shifted his intention toward Gracie instead of Edward. And he was really quick to make up a story about how he had to attend his niece's birthday party and somehow have no idea how because this is insane. He convinced the parents to let Gracie accompany him to the party that evening. So he just met these people and they're like, yeah, go ahead, take our 10-year-old daughter with you. Mm -hmm. Albert took Gracie to an abandoned house that he had previously picked out for the intent of murdering, which was located in Irvington, New York. This was the house where Albert would strangle, decapitate, and dismember Gracie Budd before also eating her entire body. The police originally arrested 66-year-old Superintendent Charles Edward Pope on September 5th, 1930, as a suspect in Gracie's disappearance, as he was accused by Pope's wife. He spent 108 days in jail between his arrest and his trial in December of 1930, and he was found not guilty. So, uh, yeah, 
No, and so this was the the superintendent. So he spent the superintendent oh, oh, falsely oh. spent 108 days in jail for the disappearance of Gracie. They didn't know she was dead mm-hmm. yet. In November of 1934, which is four years later, an anonymous letter was sent to Gracie's parents, which ultimately led to the police arresting Albert Fish. This letter is unaltered and is the original letter that was that was sent. Okay. Mm-hmm. My dear Mrs. Budd. In 1894, a friend of mine shipped as a deckhand on the steamer Tacoma, Captain John Davis. They sailed from San Francisco to Hong Kong, China. On arriving there, he and two others went ashore and got drunk. When they returned, the boat was gone. At that time, there was a famine in China. Meat of any kind was from $1 to $3 a pound. So great was the suffering among the very poor that all the children under 12 were sold to the butchers to be cut up and sold for food in order to keep others from starving. A boy or girl under 14 was not safe in the street. You could go in any shop and ask for steak chops or stew meat. Part of the naked body of a boy or girl would be brought out and just what you wanted cut from it. A boy or girl's behind, which is the sweetest part of the body and sold as veal cutlet, brought the highest price. John stayed there so long he acquired a taste for human flesh. On his return to New York, he stole two boys, one seven and one eleven. He took them to his home, stripped them naked, tied them in a closet, then burned everything they had on. Several times every day and night, he spanked them, tortured them to make their meat good and tender. First, he killed the 11-year-old boy because he had the fattest ass and, of course, the most meat on it. Every part of his body was cooked and eaten except the head, bones, and guts. He was roasted in the oven, all of his ass broiled, fried, stewed. The little boy was next, went the same way. At that time, I was living at 409 East 100th Street, rear, right side. He told me so often how good human flesh was, I made up my mind to taste it. On Sunday, June the 3rd, 1928, I called on you at 406 West 15th Street, brought you pot cheese, strawberries. We had lunch. Grace sat in my lap and kissed me. I made up my mind to eat her on the pretense of taking her to a party. You said yes, she could go. I took her to an empty house in Westshire I had already picked out. When we got there, I told her to remain outside. She picked wildflowers. I went upstairs and stripped all my clothes off. I knew if I did not, I would get her blood on them. When all was ready, I went to the window and called her. Then I hid in a closet until she was in the room. When she saw me all naked, she began to cry and tried to run downstairs. I grabbed her and she said she would tell her mama. First, I stripped her naked. How she did not kick, bite, and scratch. I choked her to death, then cut her in small pieces so I could take my meat to my room, cook, and eat it. How sweet and tender her little ass was roasted in the oven. It took me nine days to eat her entire body. I did not fuck her, though. I could have had I wished. She died a virgin. End quote. Now, Veronica, I know you're not a parent, but could you just imagine receiving no no stop no stop no no i I, listening to it i know i was so when i first read this i was like what the fuck because i mentioned earlier how he sent like obscure letters to women before and this is just like yeah i'm honestly like speechless yeah i I told you anything to that 
I told you this was going to be a rough one. Like, so police investigated this letter, and although the story concerning Captain Davis and the famine in Hong Kong could not be verified, the part of the letter concerning the murder of Gracie was found to be accurate in its description of the kidnapping and subsequent events. But it was, of course, impossible to confirm whether or not Fish had actually eaten her body. After he was arrested, police discovered other crimes. So during the night of July 14th, 1924, Nine-year-old Francis McDonald was reported missing after he failed to return home from playing catch with friends in Staten Island. A search was organized. His body was found hanging by a tree. He had been sexually assaulted and then strangled with his suspenders. According to the autopsy, he had also suffered extensive lacerations to his legs and abdomen, and his left hamstring had almost been entirely stripped of flesh. So Albert refused to claim responsibility for this, but he later stated that he intended to castrate the boy, but fled when he heard someone approaching the area. So he didn't claim responsibility, but he knew details and had an intention. This crime is how he got his nickname as the Gray Man, because this kid's friends told the police that he was taken by an elderly man with a gray mustache. His mother had said that she saw the same man earlier that day and told reporters, quote, he came shuffling down the street, mumbling to himself and making queer motions with his hands. I saw his thick gray hair and his drooping gray mustache. Everything about him seemed faded and gray, end quote. So this description is how he got his name as the gray man. During the trial for this boy's murder, Albert had denied charges the entire time. But after the trial for Gracie Budd's murder had ended, he confirmed to investigators that he had also raped and murdered Francis McDonald. When his confession was made public, the New York Daily Mirror wrote that Albert Fish was, quote, the most vicious child slayer in criminal history. Another crime that he was charged for and how he got his nickname as the Boogeyman was that on February 11, 1927, three-year-old Billy Beaton and his 12-year-old brother were playing in the apartment hallway in Brooklyn with four-year-old William Billy Gaffney. When the 12-year-old left for his apartment, both younger boys disappeared. Beaton was found later on the roof of the apartments, and when asked what happened to Gaffney, Beaton said the boogeyman took him. Gaffney's body was never recovered. Initially, the serial killer Peter Kutzowitzki, I can never say his name right, was suspected in Gaffney's murder, but then a witness saw a picture of Albert Fish in the newspaper and identified him as the old man who he had seen on the day of Gaffney's murder. So after detectives of the Manhattan Missing Persons Bureau were able to confirm that Albert was the killer in the Gaffney case, I totally lost words, sorry. Yeah, I was like, um, uh-huh. Gaffney's mother, <laughs> Gaffney's mother, Elizabeth, visited Albert in Sing Sing, where he was incarcerated, and wanted to speak to him about her son's death, which he refused to do. However, later, he did claim this in the following letter to his attorney. Okay, so prepare yourself for another letter. Quote, I brought him to the river, to the Riker Avenue dumps. There is a house that stands alone, not far from where I took him. I took the G-boy there, stripped him naked and tied his hands and feet and gagged him with a piece of dirty rag I picked out of the dump. Then I burned his clothes, threw his shoes in the dump. Then I walked back and took trolley to 59th Street at 2 a.m. and walked home from there. 
Next day, about 2 p.m., I took tools, a good heavy cat of nine tails, homemade, short handle, cut one of my belts in half, slit these half in six strips about eight inches long. I whipped his bear behind till the blood ran from his legs. I cut off his ears, nose, slit his mouth from ear to ear. Gouged at his eyes, he was dead then. I stuck the knife in his belly and held my mouth to his body and drank his blood. I picked up four-year-old potato sacks and gathered a pile of stones. Then I cut him up. I had a good grip with me. I put his nose, ears, and a few slices of his belly in the grip. Then I cut him through the middle of his body, just below his belly button. Then through his legs, about two inches below his behind. I put this in my grip with a lot of paper. I cut off the head, feet, arms, hands, and the legs below the knees. This I put in sacks weighed with stones, tied the ends, and threw them into the pools of slimy water you will see all along the road going to North Beach. Water is three to four deep. They sank at once. I came home with my meat. I had the front of his body I liked best. His monkey and peewees and a nice little fat behind them to roast in the oven and eat. I made a stew out of his ears, nose, pieces of his face, and belly. I put onions, carrots, turnips, celery, salt, and pepper. It was good. Then I split the cheeks of his behind open, cut off his monkey and peewees, and washed them first. I put strips of bacon on each cheek of his behind and put in the oven. Then I picked four onions, and when meat had roasted about a quarter hour, I poured about a pint of water over it for gravy and put in the onions. At frequent intervals, I basted his behind with a wooden spoon so the meat would be nice and juicy. In about two hours, it was nice and brown, cooked through. I never ate any roast turkey that tasted half as good as his sweet, fat little behind did. I ate every bit of the meat in about four days. His little monkey was as sweet as a nut, but his peewees I could not chew. Threw them in the toilet. End quote. Sorry, I need a minute after that. Yeah, straight up, no comment. Yeah. So, Albert's trial for the murder of Gracie Budd began on March 11th, 1935. In White Plains, New York, Frederick P. Close presided as judge and Westchester County Chief Assistant District Attorney Albert F. Gallagher was prosecuting attorney. I'm not going to go into much more detail other than the defense team tried to say that Fish was mentally unwell, which obviously, of course, he is. And none of the jurors doubted that he was insane. But ultimately, as someone later explained, they felt that he should be executed anyways, even though he was insane. They found him to be sane and guilty in trial so that they could execute him. And the judge sentenced Albert to death by electrocution. So he arrived at prison in March of 1935 and was executed on January 16, 1936. He entered the chamber, the electrocution chamber, at 11.06 p.m. and was pronounced dead three minutes later. He was buried in the Sing Sing Prison Cemetery and he is said to have helped the executioner position the electrodes on his body. His last words are reportedly, quote, I don't even know why I'm here, end quote. I wish you guys could hear... Like when eyes roll, you know? Right. At a meeting with reporters after his execution, Fish's lawyer, James Dempsey, revealed that he was in possession of his client's final statement, which was several pages of handwritten notes that he had written in 
in his last hours just prior to his death. When the journalist pressed him to reveal the document's contents, James Dempsey refused and stated, quote, I will never show it to anyone. It was the most filthy string of obscenities I have ever read, end quote. Now, you can just imagine, right? Because we've already, I've already read two of his letters. So the fact that his lawyer was like, I will never show this to the public, like ever, you know it was bad. Mm -hmm. So all in all, Albert Fish was found guilty of killing Francis McDonald on July 15th, 1924 in Long Island, New York. Billy Gaffney, February 11th, 1927 in New York City, New York and Gracie Budd on June 3rd, 1928, in New York City, New York. His suspected victims was Yetta Ambramovowitz, I cannot say her name, who was 12. She was strangled and beaten on the roof of a five-story apartment house in the Bronx on May 14th, 1927. She died in the hospital shortly after she was found, and an unidentified man who matches Albert Fish's physical description was cited to... um, to lure several of the young girls into the hallways in that area. Albert had worked at a painting company, and one of the houses that he had painted, they found the mutilated body of a 16-year-old Mary Ellen O'Connor in Queens on February 15, 1932, that they believe that he also killed. Other possible victims was Thomas Bedden that we talked about, Emma Richardson, who was five years old on October 3rd, 1926, Emil Alleg, who was four years old on July 13, 1930, Robin Jane Liu, age six, on May 2, 1931, and Benjamin Collings, age 17, December 15, 1932. Other possible victims include that Albert Fish himself claimed to have sexually assaulted at least 100 boys, most of who were African American or had some kind of developmental disability. Like I said before, he picked these victims because nobody would believe them or if he did murder them, nobody would miss them. He is also quoted as saying that he had murdered a child in each of the 23 states in which he lived. So how do we feel? Mm-hmm. That is that is Albert Fish. He's glad you didn't do that. Just glad you're yeah. fine. Yeah. He's a lot. So I know, ghosties, that that was a lot to talk about and to listen to. So Veronica, do you just want to get us started on the paranormal topic of the week? I will get us started and finished in no time. This is a very short segment. <laughs> hopefully, it'll distract you guys. Uh, hopefully it'll distract you guys from what we just listened to. So my paranormal topic of the week is of the ghost of Ghana that violently murdered her landlord and wife. Okay, so <laughs> this takes place in Gunnivor, Iceland. Gunnivor Mudpool has been named as one of the 37 most haunted places in the world. The area is named after Gunna, a woman who lived in a small area of the Rick James Peninsula some 400 years ago. Unfortunately, Gunna died from starvation at an end. It is and it is said that her spirit came back home to violently murder her former landlord and his wife. The locals had called a priest to take care of the issue, which was solved by the priest casting her spirit into a boiling hot mud pool. 
Mm. Although Gunna's ghost has not violently murdered anyone else, her ghost still appears to locals and visitors around that mud pool. Um, that's it. So we're left with so many questions. How did they die? How were they murdered? What happened? Why did she murder them? Was it because she was starved to death? Did they have some play in that? I don't know, but I thought it was great. And I hope I distracted you for at least a minute. So, because <laughs> you don't really uh... hear about like spirit, like you hear about spirits coming back and like haunting people mm-hmm. and like terrorizing yeah. them the most but we've never really heard of a ghost come back and violently murder someone mm-hmm. so I thought that was interesting and I, I, I don't think it's true so well and I'm I'm glad that you talked about this today because I actually had this this topic on my list for season three mm-hmm. that I was going to talk about and I was trying to find more information because I was like I was like, this leaves me with a lot of questions and, like, zero answers. Well, you know, you're welcome. Now you have something to think about this weekend. Something (laughs) to imagine about. Different scenarios to run through. It's time to get creative, guys. Um, Maybe we could run a story. If you come up, yeah, if you guys come up with a good, like, um, storyline in your head about what went down, let us know. I'd love to hear it. We'll have story time. No, I meant like we could write a story about it for. I know Chelsea. <laughs> okay. I was trying to write something. No, but I'm but I'm saying like, but aside from you know your idea, I'm honestly interested in like what people come up with. Like, why why did Gunna die from starvation? Why did she come back and murder not only the landlord but the wife? What did? How were they involved in the whole thing? How were they murdered? How do they know it was the ghost of Gunna if both parties were murdered, you know? I would just like to point out that I'm people too. Thank you very much. No, you're Chelsea. <laughs> you're, I'm not, not you're not considered a person Chelsea. <laughs> you, you have no human rights on this podcast. Ew. I'm a woman, so they're trying to take my rights away. Anyways, let's move on to the tarot card reading. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, ghosties. This week's tarot card reading is from an anonymous listener who didn't want to be named or anything in this week's episode, but their question was, someone recently came back into my life, what does this mean? And so I found that I liked, but didn't like, and so I kind of added my own cards to it. So so originally, this reading was a... Um, four card reading and I threw in three different cards in there as well so card one what motivates the other person in general card two what you already know card three what type of energy this person is emitting why did that sound weird coming out of my mouth emitting <laughs> no right like anyways so rough <laughs> card four what you don't know card five What intentions does this person have towards others? Card six, what intentions does this person have towards you? Card seven, what you need to know. So card one, what motivates the other person in general? This comes through the king of swords. So this person is motivated by intellectual power. And so they believe that they have the integrity to judge situations with rational thinking. Whether or not this is true, 
is up for debate, but this is what motivates that person. Interesting. Card two is what you know. And this comes through the Queen of Wands reversed. I'm, I'm going to call our listener a nominom. So <laughs> a nominom, what you already or what you know is that you are feeling exhausted from this person, possibly burnt out, and you're trying to bring your attention to reestablish your sense of self. And this probably had to, a lot to do with this person be, like being in your life previously or now, and it's kind of throwing you off balance. So card three is what type of energy this person is em- emitting. See, now I'm like overly cautious of saying this word. And this comes through the two of wands. So this person is really giving off the energy of choosing between two paths. And you might feel the need to leave or travel. But this is actually the time to collaborate with others to form partnership. So that's the... Maybe that energy is not the right energy for you. And you need to find Mm -hmm. a different energy. Yeah. Exactly. So card four represents what you don't know. And this comes through the Queen of Swords reversed. So what you don't know is that you're probably thinking too much with your heart rather than your head, which is leaving you overly critical. And these can be signs of like unresolved things coming to the surface. And so it's really important right now to get that balance. You know, we're always talking about balance on here. The importance of balance. Like, we can't talk about that enough, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, card five is what intentions does this person have towards others? And this comes through the Nine of Swords. So, this person's intentions towards others is to either be that trusted friend for advice or they may be weighing them down with negative feelings such as, like, fear or anxiety. So, it, it depends on the person... Or it depends on the other person, like, who's involved with that person's life. But their intentions towards others are either going to be one way or the other. So they're they're either, like, really close, the, the, you know, like, that's your friend, or they have ill intent. So a nominom, it's really important that you figure out who you are in that person's life. How do you expect them to take you seriously when you call them a nominom? <laughs> I'm trying to give that, like, comedic so- relief. <laughs> it sounds like that song that bum bum ba da bum ba da ba da sorry I just I can't even take you seriously just um, um, no. that's what I'm trying to go for because like you know what they're asking is something that's like they have to reflect on they have to think about and I'm trying to make it a little easier to to receive the message good for you so card six is what intentions does this person have towards you? So we're going to find out, you know, which mm-hmm. side of the scale you're on. And right, this comes nom-a-nom. through. <laughs> Say it again. Say it again. Anomanom. Anomanom. <laughs> and this comes through the moon reversed. So you are being called to listen to your intuition. You need to unveil you know, or release the fear that is within you in order to find that composure and truth. So what this person's intentions are towards you is really going to come from from you and your decision. 
And the last card, card seven, is what you need to know. And this comes through the high priestess. So again, going back to that intuition, you need to really look into that because you have the knowledge to your question within your soul. And so you need to trust your your instincts to guide you in order to determine whether or not this person is worth having in your life anymore. This reading is definitely giving a, they may not be as deserving to be in your life Mm -hmm. than you think they are. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. All right. Nom nom. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And you, ghosties, if you want to be anonymous on our podcast for your tarot reading, please do because I love saying a nom nom. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Even if you don't mind us putting your name out there, please be let us, let us call, call you. you. Let us call you Anomenum. Anomenum. We have another Anomenum for today's episode. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Anyways, thank you for joining us this week, ghosties. We hope you had as much fun as we did. I nope. I mean, I, I guess some of us probably nope. didn't have as much fun. Nope. But if you enjoyed the episode and learning, you know, about different things in our history. And being disturbed. And being highly disturbed. Give us a follow on Instagram, TikTok, or YouTube channel. If you want a tarot card reading, again, DM us. Let us call you a nominom or not, you know, whatever floats your boat. But we are your hosts. I'm Chelsea. And I'm Veronica. Have a spooky weekend, guys. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.